Welcome to Grace Point. I'm glad you didn't have to swim to get here today, although it appeared that you might have to uh, in all the rain that we've been having. And also, I just want to say, uh, welcome to the conclusion. Uh, if you're just now joining us, we're at the tail end, literally finishing up today, a series of messages that we've been looking through in an Old Testament book uh, that's 450 years before Christ uh, was, it was written. And the book of Malachi, I'll be finding that, will be there in a moment. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, why are you wearing the Boston uh, shirt today? And it will make sense here in a moment. Uh, but uh, I'm kind of um, a person who is a sucker for the authentic. And I like authentic things. And when I grew up, I had a couple of uncles that uh, were former deputy sheriffs, and they had these authentic real uniforms that they would hand down to me as a as a kid and I would put them on and I would just swallow me whole and and I would go around playing playing cops and robbers uh with that and then I had an uncle who retired from uh the army as a lieutenant colonel and he would give me his hand-me-down army clothes and so I was an army man when I wanted to be an army man I was a policeman when I wanted to be a policeman but I always wanted to own an authentic baseball jersey so I am owning one I finally broke down and I own an authentic baseball uh, batting practice jersey. And I know you're really wild by it, uh, but there's a difference, okay? Uh, there's a difference between a replica and an authentic. And I, I, I like the authentic, okay? The authentic is what we're talking about today and not the replicas, okay? The replicas are a dime a dozen. They're cheap. You can find them in Walmart. Nothing offense against Walmart. Uh, you can find them anywhere and everywhere, all right? And you'll find the, the jersey and you'll find the logo and you can just get it and wear it like everyone else. Or you can spend more money and when I was a kid growing up, you could only find these in the stadium. And so you can go to the stadium and you can spend all kinds of money and you can buy an authentic. And listen, we're talking about authentic faith today. All right. So that just gave me a reason to wear my Boston shirt. But, but I also want to say, since we're kind of on the baseball theme, we have a, a we have a state championship high school baseball coach in our room today. Where are you at, Todd Abbott? Well, raise your hand. All right. BHS won state this past Friday. We're proud of them, one of our deacons and also one of, uh, one of the coaches in, in the community. So, But anyway, we're talking about being real, being authentic, not being a replica, not being a fake. A few years ago, I was with a team and we were traveling through Turkey. And we, we stopped at the ancient ruins of the city of Ephesus. We got out of the, out of our bus. We went up and we were greeted immediately by a man selling watches. And it said, genuine fake watches. <laughs> he was proud of that. He was proud of his fake genuine watches. We're talking today not hopefully about genuine fake Christians. We're hopefully talking about genuine authentic Christians. And what does that look like? And how does that differ from one to the other? And because uh, this world, I believe this world is longing, desiring desperately to see what God is authentically, who he is authentically. When you talk to a Muslim, they'll, they'll look at the ISIS organizations out there and they'll say, no, 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 that's not real Islam. You'll talk to different religions and faiths out there and they believe that you might become a God someday in your life if you believe a certain way. But really, I would never see myself. I might have the body of, of a Buddha, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to ever be a, a God. I don't think I'll ever achieve that Godhood. The point is, is that what is a real God? 
Okay, there's an alarm going off. There's no floods. I, I hear it. Uh, anyway, we have people watching, by the way, uh, radars, if there's anything that, 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 that comes up. Um, anyway, that, that, that threw me off for a moment. Sorry. Um, <laughs> The, um, the, uh, the, 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 yes. We're talking about the Bible, right? In Jesus. Yes. Oh, but I can't pick on the Mormons. I can't pick on the, any other, uh, other faith out there. I can't pick on the, the Muslims. I can't pick on all the other faiths out there and not point out that even in Christianity, there's an inauthenticity about us. There's a, there is a lot of it out there that looks like may even carry the symbols of, may even wear a banner of Christianity, but they're replicas. They're not authentic. And there's a big difference. Adrian Rogers said it well. He said the best argument for Christianity and the best argument against Christianity is the life of a Christian. And I can see that to be so true in this world. Sometimes you look at Christians and you go, really, is that what it means to be a Christian? Or they claim to be a Christian? I've been around the world enough and talked to enough people that they look back at America and they go, oh, yeah, Madonna, she wears a cross and she dances around on stage. She calls herself a Christian, right? That must mean what a Christian is. It's like, no, 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 no. Sometimes I see these things and I go, no, no, no. Just because you carry a cross, wear a cross, have a tattoo of a cross, have a Bible verse on you doesn't make that right. What is authentic Christianity? What does authentic faith look like? Not this cheap knockoff replica. We've been talking about mistakes. Let's talk about mistake number six, the final mistake. Being fake is a mistake. Be authentic. Being fake is a mistake. Be authentic. Whatever it is that, that, that you've been looking at modeling your faith after, let's not do that today. Let's go back a little further. Let's look at this a little deeper because there's a whole lot of people rewriting what Christianity is out there. One sociologist was talking and doing an interview with a lady named Shelley, and she said this. She said, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long ways. So she could see right there that she has segmented off, cut out her her faith and any kind of religious church relationship at at all. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, Shelleyism. Just my own little voice. It will, what is it in your, in your life, in your voices of your, of your faith and, and, and life that, that mark you? Is it this book? Does this book shape you to the standards of this book? We want to break down what it means and what it looks like to be a replica in the Christian faith versus being authentic. So take your Bibles and look at Malachi. We've been there. We'll finish up there today. And if you've joined us for the journey, there's been six different oracles, commands, calling out, if you will, rebukes, if you will, from Malachi, this guy, this prophet who stands out and he just kind of says, listen, listen, this is not right. You need to fix this as a prophet does so often. And and here's, here's what's so true even of us today. We hear it and we go, not me. We hear it and that's you. We hear it and it's like, that's not true. We never put, put ourselves in that bucket. We never want to put ourselves there. We always want to see ourselves as, no, we're the, we're the authentic ones. They're the fake ones. They're the genuine fake ones. Oh, but, but I'm the real one. I'm the real McCoy. Really? 
Now, I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind, but I really want to put out here a, a real test. I want you to test yourself. I want you to listen to the voice inside of you to say, really, are you what it means to be an authentic follower of God? A replica. Let's look at this, uh, let's look at this passage of scripture, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Now, what we're gonna, in verse 13, we're gonna find three verses here, and the first three verses are gonna talk about what a replica looks like, or a counterfeit follower looks like. The next, the final three verses we'll read talk about what an authentic follower looks like. So let's jump in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me. This is God speaking, says the Lord. Your words have been hard against me. And just pause right there. Your words have been hard against me. You realize that every word we say, good, bad, whatever, God hears them. Now, we're going to see a difference here in just a few moments, but he hears them. And sometimes they hurt him deeply. The scripture also talks about how every idle word that we say, we will have to one day give an account. Your words have been hard against me. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Again, there's this lack of self-awareness going on here. How have we done this? How have you've robbed God? We talked about that last week. How have we robbed God? There's this, there's this darkness. There's this, there's this blindness that we go through in life. And sometimes we just don't get it. And he's calling them out. He said, listen, you said some things that have hurt me. Verse 14, you have said this, It is vain to serve the Lord. I want you to count how many times the word serve pops up here. It is vain to serve God. What does it profit if our keeping uh, his charge or or walking in uh, in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And and now now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Now we're going to break that down in just a moment. But now let's go to the next three verses. Because the next three verses talk about what authentic faith looks like. Then those who feared the Lord. Now, again, I want you to notice every time you see the word feared, because it's going to become a major clinching element to this. The Lord spoke with one another. The Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention. I love that phrase. In both examples, God is hearing, but this one's a bit different. There's a, there's a softer tone to this. There's a more in a communicative tone in this. He paid attention. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before, the, before him of those who had feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction. Again, remember, I'm trying to distinguish between a replica, a a fake, and and an authentic. You'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Now, he doesn't say authentic. He doesn't say replica. He just goes right at it. Righteous and the unrighteous. Righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and the one who does not serve him. I've emphasized some key words in there that we're going to key in on, but I want us to break this down. What does a replica, what does a genuine fake look like? 
Not the real thing look like. What does it look like? Well, we've been talking for several weeks, and just in quick review, about mistakes that we make. And we never want to make these mistakes in your faith and in your walk. And these are, these are higher level mistakes than just, hey, you never want to not pay a traffic ticket. Okay? These are deeper things than that. You don't want to pay, you want to pay your traffic tickets, but that's not one of the big mistakes. One of the big mistakes, number one, is you don't want to have misplaced priorities. And a lot of people have misplaced priorities. They get things out of order. You don't get things in the right order. You're putting something together in life. You buy something at the store and you're not putting it together and you don't, you may have to tear everything apart. Think about it in your life now. You get your priorities in the wrong order. Everything else may not fit together in life. Get your priorities right. Number two, living a life of drudgery. It's born out of this whole idea of I lose a love relationship with God. God wants to be in a love relationship with you. That's the very first verses of Malachi. How he loves us, how he loved them, how he initiates a love relationship. I, I don't follow God because he gives me a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. I don't follow God because I follow God because he loved me. He loved me, Romans 5 uh, verse 8 says. He loved me while I was still a sinner. He took me in all of the trash and the junk of my life and embraced me anyway. That's why I follow him. But if you don't, you'll turn faith into religion, religion into duty, duty into drudgery. And you will live a miserable life dealing with guilt and shame the rest of your life. Living a life of drudgery. Number two, or number three, taking your marriage for granted. We, we spent a whole day talking about this. The most important relationship you will ever have on planet earth will be your marriage relationship. I know you love your children. I love my children. But more, I'll say this, and you hear me, you can push back on it if you want to. The more important than your parent-child relationship is your, your, your husband-wife relationship. You will have your children hopefully for no longer than about 18 or 19 years. And then hopefully they will sprout wings and fly somewhere. All right? But you will have your spouse, pray to God, for 50 years. 60 years. That's God's design. And if we ever take it for granted, we may have to deal with the consequences of that. Number four, fourth mistake, rewriting God's moral code. We did a whole list, a laundry list of, of ways in our own culture and ways here in Malachi where they were rewriting God's moral code. Listen, we didn't invent life. We can't reinvent life. We can't redefine life. We can't make up our rules to fit our own game. It's not our game. It's not our life. It's not our creation. It's God's. And the best thing we can do, the smartest thing we can do, is figure out the design of our Father and follow it. We talked last week about robbing God and the privilege of worshiping God and putting Him first in our finances through tithing and how it's a blessing to other people. Those are the mistakes that you don't want to make. And in that, in that group of mistakes is being a fake. Faking any of those or all of them is a mistake you don't want to make. What's the mark of a genuine fake or a counterfeit? Jot them down. Number one is serving God becomes a duty and not a delight. You notice me, I read it, I pointed it out to you multiple times, at least three, if not more times, he uses the word serve. Serve. Serve, serve. And like a child serves his father. 
Here's, here's, what a, here's what a religious person will see about serving. You serve me. That's what life's about. But the Christian faith is all about us serving others in the name of Christ or serving Him. And by serving Him, we serve others. Where that becomes a part of our DNA. But in verse 14, we read it just a few moments ago. It is vain. This is what you've said. It is vain to serve God. It is empty to serve God. It is meaningless to serve God. This word vain is the same word vain used in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy and and Leviticus that says don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It's that high level of a word that we would not take his service and make it empty, that we would not take his name and make it empty. Listen, one of the greatest and noblest things you could do is take your time, your talents, your treasures, to take your passions, your interests, to take life experiences. Don't waste a pain. Take life experiences and use them as a service to God. That's one of the most beautiful things you could do with your life. And it's not in vain. The Good News Translation puts it like this. It's useless to serve God. And the message, it puts it like this in a paraphrase. It doesn't pay to serve God. So you're looking for a paycheck in serving God? You're in the wrong idea and frame of reference. Archbishop of Canterbury said a number of years ago, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We live and we exist, listen, to serve those who are not a part of us. We live for that. That's why we're here. And a part of that serving is the service to God. In fact, you find this in the two most important commands that God gave us. He said, this is the greatest commandment. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Say it with me. Love God and love people. You don't know what to do tomorrow morning. Just get up and love God and love people. You get angry, just love God and love people. That person that you can't stand, just love them. Anyway, he tells us to love our enemies. Love God and love people. And you see it right there in the first and the greatest commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Everything inside of you is to be an act of worship to God and loving Him and expressing that love to Him. So how are you doing in that area? Now, we're going to talk about that one. I want to talk about the last one, the second one. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the person in your world, in your life, in your circle, as yourself. We all need to understand our role in the big scheme of God is that we are to love the people outside beyond us just the way we love ourselves. This is called ministry. We call we have a motto around here. Every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. We don't want you doing meaningless activity. We want you touching lives, impacting lives in the simple, most humble kind of way. Why do we do this? Because everyone needs a ministry within. They need a ministry within these four walls. Why do we do that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, I want to say more about this at the end, so hang on to that. We not only need a ministry within, we also need a ministry without. Before we go further with this, when you think about the ministry within, I want you to realize this. I don't know if you realize this, but every week, all throughout the week, student ministry on Wednesday nights, Sunday night, all that we have going on through in homes, in the community. It takes 456 of our members 
to just carry out the ministry of what's going on around here. 456. Now, not just because we're creating positions and all that kind of stuff. We need ministers to take on these ministries on any given week. We all need a ministry within, but we also need a ministry without. And this whole ministry without thing, let me just say something about that. The high idea here is that we all need to be touching our community, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're going to start a new series of messages next week called Love My Hood. All right? And we're just going to be talking about loving our hoods. What does that mean? What does that look like, feel like? How do I love my neighbors? Who are my neighbors? What if I don't like my neighbors? You know, how do I love somebody I don't like? We're going to be spending the next month in just very giving very, 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 very practical ways. In fact, our strategy meeting as a church, if you're a member of Grace Point, you've got to put this down, June 7th. It is the biggest day of the year for all Grace Point family members, all right, because we're going to talk about the coming year. We're going to talk about the budget and the direction and where we're going. It is a big deal day for us. And on that day, we're also going to serve the ministries that serve the community. Let me explain that to you. We're going to serve the ministries that serve the community. So on that day, we have 11 ministries across this room right now, 11 ministries across our congregation, across our family. And I'm saying this from, uh, from orphan care ministry to, to, uh, to foster care ministry to, um, to even, 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 uh, families that are, that are trying to adopt. There's so many different ministries that we have going, 11 of them, they're all online. What you can do is go online, sign up for June 7th and the meal and all the events that afternoon because it's going to be all about loving my hood. This whole series is going to be about that. That's just an extra day. That's like a dessert day or whatever because we're going to have a lot to that. But register online for that. But here, let's go on to number two. The second thing about this counterfeit, this genuine fake, is they kind of take on the attitude that obedience is optional. This is the words that Malachi used. What is the profit of our keeping his charge? What's it really gain? What do I really get out of obeying God? Listen, this is about as simple as I can put it. Anytime God says don't, he is saying don't hurt yourself. Don't break that. Don't break your relationship. Don't break your integrity. Don't hurt yourself. And anytime he says do, do this, Obey me in this area. Follow me in this direction. He's saying, bless yourself. Look just at last week's message alone. If you tithe, if you give, then this is what I'm going to do to you. There's, a, there's, there's this thing about when we obey him, he wants to pour into our life. When he, we obey him, we also protect our lives from a whole lot of shrapnel and a whole lot of mistakes and a whole lot of things that we look back on and we go, oh gosh, life isn't fair, which leads me to number three. A counterfeit person, a counterfeit person in their faith will see God as an unjust God. They'll perceive him that way. He's an unjust God. He's, there's, there's not a fairness about him. Where do I see this? Look at verse 15. And now we call the arrogant blessed. This is what they're saying to God. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This is what they're, they're doing. God, you aren't fair. That person over there that just got that promotion, they didn't deserve it. I know they've been dipping into the till. 
I know that they've been cutting, slacking off on their hours. That person who just got an A on that paper, I guarantee you my paper was better than theirs, and I didn't have any plagiarism in my paper. You know, there's, there's so much unfairness out there in this world. We look at this world and we go, this world isn't fair, so God, you're not fair. We, we kind of draw those conclusions together. world isn't fair, God's not fair. Life isn't fair. And here's the reality. You're right. Life isn't fair. But we messed up the world to start with. He made it right. He put it in the right order. He made it fair. He put it in just. He put all the natural laws in place. He put all the spiritual laws in place. And it was mankind who came in and jacked it up. Now, we're living with our jacked up mess. That's why life isn't fair. Habakkuk, the prophet, probably most of your pages are still stuck together on Habakkuk. Go home and read it. You'll find that Habakkuk says, God, why do the, why do the evil prosper? You go to Asaph in, in the book of Psalms, and you find where in, in, in Psalms, throw, throw the scripture up there, guys. Psalm um, 73, verse 1 to 3 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I, I don't, this life isn't fair. This world isn't fair. When I got a divorce, the judge ruled too much for that person and this person. It wasn't fair. I didn't get the promotion and they did. Life isn't fair. And I get it. Life isn't fair. But God is. In spite of all the unfairness of this world and all the unfairness of this day, listen to this. God isn't going to take away all the pain and disappointment. But He did promise He'd wipe away every tear from our eyes one day. God didn't say that He wouldn't, that we wouldn't have to carry some heavy loads in life. But He did offer to lighten our loads in life. God didn't say that we wouldn't have seasons of loneliness. But He did say we'd never be alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. Life isn't fair. And if we try to anchor ourselves to an unfair world and then blame God with it, we're wrong. What we need to do is anchor ourselves to a fair God and look at all the waves and the ups and downs and the injustices of this world and become a part of the solution to it. Become a part of the righteousness of it. That's what we need to become as followers of Christ. What does an authentic follower look like? He's confident and courageous in his Christian faith. He's not confused. He's not complacent. He's confident and he is courageous in his faith. Erwin McManus wrote a little book a few years ago. You need to pick it up and read it. It's called The Barbarian Way. He said, Christianity over the past 2,000 years has moved from the tide, from the tribe of renegades to a religion of conformists. Those who choose to follow Jesus become participants of an insurrection. We have domesticated, tamed, civilized, emasculated, and, and, and controlled the Christian faith. What we need to understand is it's a challenge to live a godly life. It's not lame and boring to live a godly life. It's anything but that. Well, you know, we talked last week about a challenge to, to give a tithe, okay? I'm just referring back to last week. Well, give a tithe. Live, live on 90%, give 10%. What if you reverse that? What if you lived on 10% and gave 90% away? 
That's a, that's a revolutionary idea. No one says you have to stop at 10%. A guy by the name of R.G. Turnow, I'll probably mispronounce that name, but hang with me, learned to live on 90%. As learned to give away 90% and live on 10%. And this is what he said. He says, I shoveled it out, but God shoveled it back. But God has a bigger shovel. The reality is, is that he realized, even though he was making great sacrifices, that God always took care of him and gave him more than he could ever give away. Let me, let me show you a, a picture of a family. Now, this family, I'm not going to say him by name because this is being broadcast on the Internet and obviously around the world because of that. This family is from our, from our faith family. This family lives in a country that he just recently told me the man just recently told me that they, that, by the way, they were business people in this community. They were on the praise band, a part of our church, and God called them to another place on the other side of the world. And in fact, I was just recently with them. Jeff Webb and I were, were there a few months ago. But the husband in the, in the home told me that the laws of the land have just been changed and that to even share your faith in their country now, is an act of terrorism. And you will be treated as a terrorist in their land. This family has taken their family and they've moved over there. Following God's call and, and some would say by choice that they're going there. What, are they crazy or something? See, the whole idea of this, I'm going to follow God as long as it's convenient, as long as it goes my path, as long as it goes my way, as long as it's up and to the right, is not Christianity. The faith that we have and see modeled in Scripture is an all-in kind of faith and willingness to even take my family, if necessary, to the other end of the world. Now you think, Mike, what are you crazy You're talking about me giving away 90% and now you're talking about taking my family and making them terrorists in a foreign land? What are you doing? I'm trying to raise our bar a little bit here. Now maybe we'll end our bar up down here, but let's stretch our imaginations and dream today. What does it mean to be an authentic follower of Christ. And let's quit taming it down and watering it down. Howard Macy said it like this. He said, the spiritual world cannot be suburban. It is always frontier. And we would love and we would live in it. We must accept and even rejoice that it remains untamed. Listen, he says in verse 16, and we read it earlier. I'm not going to reread it again. He said in verse 16, and he says it again later on, and we'll read it again in verse 2. He says, Those who feared the Lord. Before him of those who feared the Lord. This whole idea of fear, he comes down to verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, Fear my name. This whole idea of fear is where we have not fear in trepidation, but fear of respect, fear of priority, where God becomes first. First and foremost in our life, in our dreams, in our hopes. What does that look like? Let me give you four ways of a confident, courageous Christian. God-fearing, God-first kind of follower of Christ. Number one, they stay connected to life. They know where their life source is and they stay connected to it. When you look at this passage, you find in verse 16, the Lord paid attention. The Lord paid attention. 
There are times in scriptures in Isaiah 59 verse 2 where it talks about how the Lord didn't hear the prayers because of their sins. Listen, I want God to pay attention. I want to have such a love relationship with God that he leans in on and he listens to. John chapter 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, a real follower of Christ realizes where life comes from and stays connected. Realizes that as as he's talking with God, God's listening. I can tell you this, and I am not making this up. I know I'm paid to say this, but let me tell you this. This is from my heart. The best part of any day that I am alive is when I take this book and I take my cup of coffee, that always goes together, and I go out on my back patio and I sit there And I just spend 15, 20, 30 minutes right here. And I connect with God. I have journals at home that I've collected for years. I brought some of them here before where literally I could take and put into a spreadsheet the numbers of answered prayers that God has given me. I've right now, I've got a journal right now that i got one page full of prayers that I've been praying just since the beginning of 2015. Half of them have already been answered. Why am I saying all this? I'm just saying that, listen, I've realized in my course of my faith is that whenever I stay close to God, I can do so much more when I remain in Him. And what does He do? How does He respond to me? The verse that we just read there, He pays attention and He heard them. Here's another thing. They live a notable life. They live a notable life. There's a difference in the way that they live their life. He says in verse 16, and we read it earlier, he said there there was a book of remembrance was written before him. Of who? Of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, this is the only time in all the Old Testament that this book of remembrance is mentioned. It's not even mentioned in the New Testament. There are other books that are mentioned, the books of life and the Lamb's book of life and all that kind of stuff. There are other books mentioned. But so what's this book of remembrance? Under the Persian rule, which they just came out of, under the Persian rule, the rule in that time, they would not only keep a record of the wrongs that somebody would do, they would also keep a record of the rights that somebody would do. So if you have a record, that could be a good thing in that day. In fact, you can go and read Esther chapter 6, verse 1 and 3, and you can see how Mordecai benefited from a day and a time whenever a good word was written about him. What this is saying is that God is taking notes on our life. Now, some of us think God takes only the bad notes. But what I want to point to you here is God also takes good notes. And I want to live a notable life that when there is a book of remembrance... And my acts and my life is written in it. To live a notable life, I must live a noble life. I must live the right kind of life. The life that he wants me and has called me to live. Number three, be owned by God. This is the life of a follower of Christ. They're owned by God. They embrace the ownership. Now, I know we like our independence. We like to do what we want to do, how we want to do it. But listen, listen, lean in. Let him own you. Let him, let him possess you. Let him call you one of his. Let him adopt you. Let him claim you. Let him put his name on you. Verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make my treasured possession. My treasured possession. 
First Peter does the same thing. He talks about it in verse two, uh, chapter two, verse nine. But you are my chosen people, my royal priesthood, my holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I want God to own me. A part of being a follower of Christ is me not calling my own shots, doing it my own way. It's me being owned by Christ, being called His, being chosen by Him, being made a royal priesthood, being, being a part of a holy nation, being protected by Him, as we just read there in Malachi. And then finally, number four, mark of a, of a person who's, who's a true, on authentic follower is they serve Him gladly. Serve Him gladly as God protects them eternally. Where do we see this? Verse 17. Again, and you shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I will make you my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. As an obedient child serving a father. That's a, this, is a, this is a place of respect. This is a place of honor. When God says, listen, you're faithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to you just like a father would be to his child. Serving. Serving is a part of what it means to walk with God. You can go on and read in verse 18 where he talks about one who serves God and one who does not serve God. In verse chapter 4, verse 1, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stumble. The day that is coming shall... Set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, I can't talk about heaven and you can't talk about hell. They're, they're, they're both there. Let's go to verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in your wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I know he uses imagery that we don't really get. So let me just close with this. Because he uses the concept there again and again, of a true follower of Christ serves Him. A true follower of God serves Him. And there's something beautiful. And I know it may be small. We may look at it as small. You may host a communitas group in your home, and that may seem small, or you may just lead a discussion around a communitas group, and that may seem small. There may be only one or two of you, and that may seem small. And you may think, oh, I'm teaching, changing diapers in the nursery, and that may seem small. And I, and I get it. You may be just an usher in here, and that may seem small. There's so many things that just seem small, and they really don't matter. So therefore, I just don't have to show up. I don't have to be prepared. That's the temptation because it's all in vain anyway, right? No. That's what the replica says. What God says, no, it matters. You're like a son to me. You're like a son to me when you serve. It's the right thing to do. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries to live, a 19th century pioneer to China, said it like this, a little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. I love that statement. Mother Teresa is the one I want to camp on. Mother Teresa said this when she was being admired about the great things that she had done in Calcutta, all the children she had rescued off the street and all this kind of stuff. She says, no, 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 I don't do big things. I do small things with a big love. I like that phrase. I do small things with a big love. Let me just tell you this. We got a lot of people in this room that do small things with a big love. Tracy Patterson 
sits at the front desk every Sunday morning. I don't think she ever, ever misses. She's at the registration desk. She's helping every new family that ever comes. They'll try to help that family feel comfortable that, hey, I'm taking my kids to complete strangers. And it's going to be okay. And they're going to take care of them. They're going to love them. They're going to teach them stories about God. And Tracy Patterson is the first contact that some people make. Thank you, Tracy Patterson, for doing small things with a big love. I'm thankful today that I had a conversation with a man in Hong Kong last night. As I was getting ready to go to bed, a guy writes me and we start emailing back and forth. And he starts telling me about a message that I preached four weeks ago. He says, this message and this phrase and this scripture and in Hong Kong. And he's telling me this. And so I want to say to Mike Manning, who every Sunday morning sets over after you've gone to the buffet line at the restaurant and he does the podcast. It's just a small thing, I know. But it's done with big love. And it makes a big impact. I think about, about Misty Poe. She, she's a mom who comes with her, with, her, with her kiddos and she's pregnant expecting another, another child right now. And just a few years ago, she was a brand new believer and she volunteered to help out at, uh, at, 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 at day camp. And so she got into the three-year-olds. Terrible twos, I don't know what you call the terrible threes or whatever. But she got into them and she fell in love. She said, you know, I, I think I could do this year-round. And so she goes to Stacy and she starts doing this year round. She's now one of our teachers over there doing this year round. But not only that, it's so beautiful. God began to shape her heart and give her. She's a young lady and she's just starting out in her life and she's married and she's got these kids and she feels called now to be a teacher in a school because she was first a volunteer at a day camp. See, when we do small things with big love, God may change your career. He may change your direction in life. Behind me, there's Matt McCaslin in the dark. We keep him in the dark, not on purpose. But he spends hours, hours, hours before any band member gets here to rehearsal, preparing music and instrumentation. And then he's here throughout all rehearsal on Thursday nights, sometimes as late as 10 o'clock at night. And then he's here about 7 in the morning or 7.30 on Sunday morning. And he stays until the last key is played on the keyboard. He does small things with big love. And I want to say thank you to every single one of our 456 ministers of Grace Point Church who do small things with big love. Because you make a difference, not only in this room, but beyond this room. But not only to me and you, but you make a difference and God notices every bit of it. Thank you. Would you bow your heads with me? I hope and pray to God that you know what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. It means you're owned. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You're His possession. That means you're under His protection. You're under His watchful eye. It means you're connected to Him. And, and he, he not just hears your prayer, but He pays attention to your prayers. Did you hear that? He pays attention. You can put your answered prayers on a spreadsheet 
and mark God in your life because of an authentic following of him. And because of this and because of that and because you live a noble life, you'll have a notable life in heaven. Because of this, because of that, you will want and love to serve Him. If it's become a drudgery, if you've lost your love and sense of fairness of God, I pray today that you will renew and have a relationship with Him. If you've never established a relationship with Him, I pray right now where you're at, you would just say, Dear God, I give myself to You. I don't even know what that means, but I want, I want You, God. I want, I want You in me, and I want to be fully in You, and I want to be alive in You. I want to be connected to You because I know I can do nothing without You. Just tell Him that right now. Father God, we bow before You, and we thank You for these in this room that are hearing this message. Lord, I thank you for the brother in Hong Kong who will hear it this week. And the others around the world. And I thank you for the children that are being taught right now by people who love you and want to share you with them, who are loving their neighbors right here. Lord, we can love our neighbors because you have loved us. Thank you for that. I pray that, Lord, in this place, in this time, we will look not just to what we can do for you, but what you did for us. You did the cross for us. You suffered for us. And because of that, we give our all to you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us?